aren't you just a sight for sore eyes? Of all the movie and TV joints in all the towns and all the world, you walked into mine. How lovely. Come, sit. Let me pour you a drink before we begin the showing. You know, I think that this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Cheers. Here's looking at you, Phil. Well, hello there. How are we? Welcome back to Here's Looking at You Film, a podcast for the vintage cinephile with modern sensibilities. I'm your host, Nikki, and today we have to jump right in because this is going to be a very long podcast. We have to get right to it um, because it's a Whiskey Watch week. As I mentioned before last week, we did a poll and the second scored movie on our list is the movie that we're going to be doing today. We are going to be doing Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, this is an original story that parodies the, parodies the legend of King Arthur's quest for the Holy Grail, of course. Um, and 30 years later after this, um, the film was actually the basis for um, the 2005 Tony Award winning musical Spamalot. Now, um, I recorded the watching part of the episode before I'm recording this opening, and I think I referred to it as Pramalot at the end of the film, at the end of the podcast, but it's called Spamalot. Got it. Um, so this was actually directed by um, Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with the Monty Python boys um, or men, um, that would be uh, Terry Gilliam, uh, Terry Jones, Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Eric Idle, and Michael Palin. Um, they each play multiple roles in this film. Uh, number one, that is just what they do as the Monty Python. Um, in Monty Python, they always play multiple roles. That's kind of what they do. It's a sketch comedy thing. But also, this film had a very, very, very low budget and was funded by like a bunch of rock stars, which we'll talk about um, before we start the film. Um, but in the film, Graham Chapman plays um, Arthur, uh, King Arthur. Um, he also plays a guard. Um one of the middle heads of the three-headed giant, and he's the voice of God in the film. Um, John Cleese plays Sir Lancelot the Brave, um, also the Black Knight, uh, the French, uh, the main French guard, um, and Tim the Enchanter. Um, he also plays a series of other roles. Uh, Terry Gilliam plays uh, Patsy, who is Arthur's servant, also plays the bridge keeper, and he plays the animator who uh, ultimately dies. And we'll You'll get to that. Uh, Eric Idle plays Sir Robin, the not quite so brave as Sir Lancelot. Um, he also plays uh, Lancelot Squire, Roger the Shrubber, and Brother Maynard, obviously a bunch of other roles. Terry Jones also plays Sir Bedivere the Wise, also plays Prince Herbert and some other roles. Michael Palin plays Sir Galahad the Pure, and he also plays um, the main knight who says neat. Uh, the Lord of the Swamp Castle, and he's also the film's main narrator. So um, we have these guys playing a series of roles. Um, I think I mentioned uh, before that this is more um, British humor. So it, it is a lot of visual gags, but there's also a lot of like uh, wordplay, um, fun little callback jokes. Um, so hopefully um, you'll enjoy listening to it. I enjoyed watching it, um, but I'll talk a little bit at the end of the episode about why 
it got a little bit weird watching it and why it took a little longer to watch than I thought it would. But um, now that we have our players, we can definitely go ahead and press play. We will begin our whiskey watch of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I am already about three shots in. I am currently drinking Elijah Craig. Uh, it's one of my favorite household whiskeys. If you have not had it, it's a very it's at a very nice price point. It's a very good whiskey, so you don't have to feel bad sharing it with people. But um, it's also uh, a good flavor, good taste. Love it. If you get a chance to try it, try it. Um, so I am going to start watching Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, much like we did in the Grey Gardens episode, I'm going to be pausing throughout, um, but I will pop back in and out uh, during the film uh, just to give my thoughts. Of course, this is more of a comedy. This is not a documentary, so I'll probably be popping in to laugh a little bit, and I will be drinking a little bit more. So I may get a little bit less incoherent. I may get a little bit more incoherent as the film goes on, but that is why we're here. So uh, we are going to go ahead and press play on the opening credits of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And I am, I've seen this movie probably like seven or eight times. Um, I am very aware of kind of how this goes. I haven't seen it in a while, but the opening credits, um, I watch everything with uh, closed captioning, so um, the opening credits at first are a little weird because they show up in Swedish. Uh, you will see the names of the people popping up on the screen, um, but the English words will be translated into Swedish uh, underneath. Um, and uh, this is how our opening credits start. So it's not weird yet until we get to the parts that say also appearing, also, also appearing. Um, and then we get some uh, of the English um, titles like camera operator, camera focus and things. Uh, but the closed captioning in Swedish is clearly telling us that we should go to Sweden, see the lovely lakes. Uh, these words are not Swedish anymore. They're just like Swedish looking, but English. Uh, we should go see the wonderful telephone system. Um, uh, we're finding out now about the painters, the carpenters, the stagehand, the riggers, but we're also knowing, finding out about the many interesting things that are in Sweden. Lots of things. Uh, there is a long, uh, <laughs> a very long notice about the film that is signed for some reason by Richard Nixon. Um, now, of course, we know that the Monty Python boys, uh, the, the, they, this is a lot of British humor, very British. Uh, this was shot mostly in Scotland, and it does say this on the screen, copyright 1974. So these would typically be the credits that you'd see at the end of the film, but placed at the beginning, um, is including the note of special thanks and the characters and incidents portrayed and the names, you know, that whole thing are um, accidental and incidental. Uh, but it does say, signed Richard M. Nixon, and they're also telling us that we should come to Sweden to come and see the majestic moose. Um, 
Uh, now we're finding out about the music. Um, also, a Moose once bit their sister, whoever's doing these credits. No, really, she was carving her initials on the moose with the sharpened end of an interspaced toothbrush given to her by Svenge, her brother-in-law, an Oslo dentist and star of many Norwegian films, the hot hands of an Oslo dentist, fillings of passion, the huge molars of Horst Nordfink, and I know you hear this music happening, um, costume designer, okay, so... Obviously, the credits were going a little haywire, so they are apologizing about the subtitles. Those responsible have been sacked. Um, the moose bites can be pretty nasty. Mm, we apologize again for those subtitles. The, those responsible for sacking, the people who have just been sacked, have been sacked. So, let's get some orchestral music. This is so beautiful. Um, but uh, we're finding out that there was some... Mooses trained by Youth Hermsturger Verden Borda Boda. Um, special moose effects by Olaf Prot. The lighting cameraman is Terry Bedford and the moose costumes. Um, Miss Taylor's mooses. Uh, moose choreographed by Mooses trained to mix concrete and sign complicated insurance. Mooses' noses wiped. Um, large moose on the left hand side of the screen in the third scene from the end, given a thorough grounding in Latin, French, and O level geography. Uh, suggestive poses for the moose, suggested by an antler care by, and also the editor is John Hackney. Um, so we've got a lot of moose. The directors of the firm hired to continue the credits after the other people have been sacked wish um, it to be known that they have just been sacked. The credits have been completed in an entirely different style, at great expense, and at the last minute. Now, I need you to know, real quick, um, while we're talking about this, fun fact um, about the film, that this film was um, um, financed... Not by, like, studios, because no studio wanted to finance this film. Um, this film was financed by Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, and Elton John. Um, Jethro Tull's Ian Anderson, the lead singer of Jethro Tull, um, the co-producer of The Holy Grail, um, The Heartaches, which was a cricket team, and three record companies, including Charisma Records which is uh, the record company that produced Monty Python's earlier records. So when they say like, oh, um, these credits have been completed at great expense at the last minute, that is not real. This is all sarcasm. This film was completed at about um, 175,000 pounds as their budget, which is about $410,000 in 1974. So this film is a $400,000 film. Um, so, uh, everything in this film was low budget. It was going to be low budget, but people don't expect Monty Python to be this, um, grand, uh, production. People know what they're getting with Monty Python. It's going to be fucking funny. So the credits have been completed in an entirely different style, at great expense, and at the last minute. Let's go. We've got some flashing colors. There's llamas. Lots of llamas. 
um, Milt Llama, Psy Llama, Six Venezuelan Red Llamas, 142 Mexican Whooping Llamas, Red Llama of Brixton, um, 400 Specially Trained Eucadorian Mountain Llamas, and Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones are the directors. And here we go. Oh my god. I have no idea how we're gonna get through this film, friends. This is so much. Oh, England, 932 AD. We start in on a foggy screen. Windy. Birds. <laughs> we're starting. Hear that sound? Is that the sound of horses? You hear that? No, probably not. It's the sound of men and a man with coconuts. Now, I mentioned the budget of the film earlier, and they did have originally planned to have horses in the film. They only had enough money for one horse. So they do have this horse that shows up a couple times in the film. But for the most part, we are clicking coconuts. Okay, he's going to announce himself. He does this shit like 37 times. Yeah. They're looking for the, you know, they're trying to get Camelot. Trying to get the... Yeah. So you need coconut. What? You got two eggs of coconut or fine together. So we have ribbons and suspense to cover this dam. Through the kingdom of birds. So let me tell y'all. This whole okay. So this conversation. This conversation about the coconuts is like prime Monty Python. So this obviously is a movie about them building the Knights of the Round Table. Um, King Arthur um, trying to find Camel from Camelot. You know, um, this is from based in the you know, what was it, the 1400s, 1600s? I don't even know what year it was. You know, I'm not up on this. But, <laughs> but so you have them sort of like dressed for the time. They're going to castles, you know, but they're banging coconuts together. And you know that like the coconuts are meant to be like, oh, they're riding horses. And it's ironic, right? And we're supposed to see it as ironic, but it's supposed to play like they're, you know, riding horses in the film. But having other people in the film be conscious of the fact that they are just banging coconuts together is it's like it's like clearly this is a movie like it clearly this is now everything is up for grabs like there is nothing that is grounded in reality here we need to just completely throw out any concept of like oh this is a serious film we should like look for a plot we should be looking for character development no throw all that shit out this is fucking monty python you are gonna get straight fucking jokes all but it's not even gonna be jokes 
The joke is that everybody is conscious of how fucking ridiculous this is. Everybody's aware of how dumb everything is, and that's the joke. That's mostly British humor is that everybody is aware of how dumb everything is. And there's like a couple people who aren't aware. And that there's just enough people who aren't aware to be the butt of the joke, but most people are very aware of the hypocrisy and the subtle um, humor of what's going on in the situation. That's Monty Python for you. If you ever wanted to understand British humor, you don't understand why it's so dry. You don't understand why like everybody thinks it's funny and you're just like, what's the joke? That's the joke, that everybody understands the joke except for a few people who are the joke. But there's just enough uh, dryness in the joke that, you know, we don't have to belly laugh. Look, last week, okay, let me, uh, just real quick, I'm going to just divert. Last, not last week, earlier this week, I watched 21 and 22 Jump Street, okay? I laughed from my stomach. It, I laughed until my stomach hurt, okay? But I am very aware that if I watch that movie again, I probably, or watch those movies again, I probably won't laugh as much. The fun in the movie is that I did not expect those jokes. Once I expect the jokes, it's not funny anymore, right? British humor is different because even if you expect the joke, even if you know what the joke is, the joke is sort of like in the intelligence of the joke. And maybe this is a little pretentious. And a lot of Monty Python is sort of pretentious, but in a silly way. It's sort of like if you took uh, Charlie Chaplin and made it smart. A lot of the humor of Monty Python is that you understand the joke. If you don't understand the joke, it's not going to be funny. And so there's just enough intelligence so that maybe you won't understand the joke. But when you do understand the joke, it's silly, but you feel smart because you understand the joke. Let's go. So the joke here is that coconuts are not local to um, Europe. They, they are in, they're tropical. Why would they have coconuts to bang together to make horse noises? The joke is not that they don't have horses. The joke is how did they get the coconuts? He just wants to meet with He does not want to talk about that. He really just wants to meet with whoever is uh, the head of their castle. But unfortunately, these two people are very invested in figuring out how these coconuts got here. Because this is an interesting conversation. You can't just breeze past the fact that they have coconuts. Where did they get them from? They don't even they don't even have horses. So they wouldn't be able to have boats to go get coconut. Where would the coconuts come from? They said African swallows. Maybe African swallows because they're bigger swallows. No, no way. No way. <laughs> so this is in the time of the plague, right? So we've got people literally dying in baskets. And flinging dead bodies 
onto carts. Which I mean is realistic. It's just like disgusting in the streets, right? So there's a little bit of realism here. But like, so enough that you feel like you're gonna get a real movie. But then you get moments like these, right? I'm getting better. <laughs> I don't want to go on the cart. I feel fine. Oh no, just hang out. The Robinsons. You know, the, the big fit. I feel happy. I feel, I feel happy. Blah! <laughs> and here they come with the thunderbird. <laughs> One of my favorite lines. Who's that? Must be a king. Why is that? He hasn't got shit all over him. I promise I'm not going to explain every joke in this movie, but uh, one of the other things that uh, I like about this film is that, like, the main characters, you know, like, the, the guys who are supposed to be sort of like the knights of the round table, they all play characters. Everybody else in this movie are just people. And I know you know, whenever we watch movies where there are these like noble characters and they go to talk to people, you know, you've even seen it in like Star Wars or in any kind of movie where there are people who are looking for something and they talk to civilians or they talk to people who are not main characters. And for some reason, those people also have very specific motivations too. Either they are very helpful or they are not helpful at all because they're like fighting against it, but it's a very personal kind of not being helpful. Um, and this scene really sort of highlights the way that people would probably be like if like if Joe Biden showed up, Joe Byron, if Joe Byron showed up and just started asking you questions like you may be like, oh, the president is asking me questions. I want to answer those questions. But you may also be like, Sir, like, why are you here? Why aren't you off on your regular Air Force One missions doing Air Force One things. Why are you here asking me random questions? I'm not here to help you. You have never helped me. So why would I be here? Okay, so let's let's go. Let's They're riding up, you know, coconuts ready. You see how he's just like introducing himself, just assuming things about this person that he's talking to and just trying to get answers. This is a whole person named Dennis. See that? Exactly. Because if you show up to my place, listen, 
if you show up talking about you king and you show up to my house and you want to talk to me and ask me questions, you're going to have to hear what I have to say. I just saw a tweet earlier today that said um, celebrities should have a reverse kind of cameo where you can talk to celebrities and they have to sit and listen to those videos and they have to pay attention. Do you know how much money people would pay to be able to talk to celebrities and have them listen to what you had to say? Do you know how much money people would pay if they could just have politicians sit and listen to them basically get roasted Oh my gosh, this is the kind of life that we've been wanting. And this this is this this is how people would be in the real world. We would not be overly eager to help because we would be thinking about how have I been helped? Oh, I have not been helped. So why would I help you? Child cheese and biscuits. How do you do? How do you do, good lady? I'm Arthur, King of the Britons. Whose castle is that? King of who? The Britons. Who are the Britons? Well, we all are. We are all Britons. And I am your king. They've been doing their own thing. You're fooling yourself. Well, you're being a dictatorship, a self-perpetuating autocracy in which the working class is. Oh, there you go. We are crossing the game. And of course, you still have two people who are basically fighting over politics. Nobody really knows what's going on, and these people. The the king does not even care about their feelings, doesn't care how they feel about the social system, how they feel about how they're being treated. He doesn't even care that they are literally covered in filth and poop. He is just trying to get to his next stage and in finding the Holy Grail. And in that everybody and how the politicians are they don't care they don't care about us they don't care that we are covered in filth they don't care that we out here suffering all they want to do is figure out their next little plan so they can get their next little piece in office or find their little holy grail this is exactly how um we get treated as well well how did you become king then here's his story the arm clad in the purest shimmering sunlight held aloft Excalibur from the bosom of the water, signifying by divine providence that he I think this story is inspiring. Excalibur. That is why I'm your king. Listen, strange women lying Child in holes, screaming in swords, is no basis for a system of government. <laughs> Supreme executive power derives from a mandate, mandate from the masses. Thank you. Be quiet. You can't expect to wield supreme executive power just to some watery tart through a sword. You have us. I mean, if I went around saying I was an emperor just because some moistened bitch had loved a scimitar at me, they put me away. Shut up. Will you shut up? Oh, now we see the violence inherent in the system. Shut up. stumbled upon two men fighting one man in a green knight's suit and one man in a black knight's suit and now the black knight has completed his task at killing the green knight stabbing him in the face through his face guard and uh we are now going to approach the black knight one of our favorite characters you fight for the 
strength of many men tonight. He doesn't talk much at first. Okay. He's not interested. I seek the finest and the bravest knights of the land to join me in my golden cavalry. See how serious King Arthur is? No one takes him seriously. Because you have proved yourself worthy. Who cares? Will you join me? You make me sad. So be it. Come, Patsy. None shall pass. He's not passing. None shall pass. I have no quarrel with you folks tonight, but I must cross this thing. Then you shall die. I command <sighs> as King of the Britons to stand aside. I move for no man. All right. So be it. So they've got to fight, right? And uh, he's a sturdy fighter, this Black Knight is. But uh, King Arthur is good at defending. And in one moment, knocks him in the head with the back of his sword. And we get a hearty fight. And one arm is gone. Fight is done. A scratch. Ah. Let's keep fighting. One arm. We're doing it. I'll lunge at you. And there goes the other arm. I'm going to kick you in your face. How about you? <laughs> oh, I had enough, eh? <laughs> Just a flesh wound. <laughs> He's got the arm. He's just kicking it. One leg. Good. How is he alive? <laughs> How about you? The joy. I'm gonna find a clip of the Black Knight scene and make sure that it's posted in the show notes because if you don't know the joy of that scene, you don't know, body. Like you don't know. Ah, uh, so good, so so good. All right, I'm gonna give it a little pause and we'll come back in a moment. And I'm immediately back. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the monks are walk, walking and hitting themselves in the face with plaques of wood as they're <laughs> chanting. <laughs> Good times. Trying very hard to not play this whole movie because I don't want any kind of like copyright issues, which is why I'm trying to talk over a lot of it. But 
the whole movie is so good. So here's, there's, this is also, uh, they're poking fun at witch hunts. Okay. So we've got a moment where they've found someone that they think is a witch and they are pulling them up for trial. And they have put this thing on this woman's head, put a little long nose on her. Um, and um, <laughs> there's a short moment there when there is a a knight who I'm sorry I have to pause it. There's a knight who, while they're bringing the witch over, has tied a coconut to a swallow and is trying to see if it can fly because the conversation. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> Alright, so we're witch hunting. And this is how witch hunts go. Just people screaming and they dressed me up like the they dressed her like a witch. And the other thing that I will say is that Monty Python uh the show particularly didn't have a lot of women in the cat on that would appear on the show because they would dress as women themselves. So seeing Women among the cast of a Monty Python production, um, you it was it was always a, sort of like a special occasion seeing women in the cast and seeing what women were working with them in the cast because they didn't work with many. A lot better. <laughs> so, King Arthur has now approached and is seeing the nobility of this knight. Right. What do we do? And what do you burn, burn other than witches? No. So why do witches burn? Because the yes, it's coming. It's coming. Good. Yes, we're learning. That problem. How noble. So we found our next guy. 
Are we excited? Yes. Spoiler alert, she does indeed weigh the same as a duck. She is a witch and she is going to be burned. So King Arthur meets the first person who actually respects him or shows him any kind of reverence uh, for the first time in the film, uh, Bedivere, who is uh, proclaimed to be Sir Bedivere, a knight of the round table. And then we are presented with the book of the film, which will present to us some of the other knights that we'll meet. Uh, which include was the first to join King Arthur's knights, but other illustrious names were soon to follow, such Sir as Lancelot, Galahad the Pure, Sir Robin, the but not quite so brave as Sir Lancelot, nearly, Chicken of Bristol, nearly, absolutely, the baby. <laughs> Together they formed a man whose names and deeds ah, throughout the centuries. Of course. The Knights of the, the Round, round table. table. Knights, I bid you welcome to your We new found world. Camelot. Guys, I sang a lot in the last episode. I promise I'm not going to do too much singing at you. I know it's not why you came. You didn't come to listen to me sing. You wanted to hear me talk about movies. So I'm just going to talk about movies. I'm not going to... Round table, our shows are for the table. Many times we give the rhyme from the classic table. We're all chromatic, kind of like we sing from the diaphragma. <laughs> <laughs> I have to push the ram a lot. Let's back down a Camelot. It's a silly place. They're not even going. <laughs> well, after they've left Camelot, uh, God comes to them um, very directly. Uh, and says, yeah, you guys need to go and find the Holy Grail. This is what your uh, mission is now. And they're all excited that they've gotten to talk to God, obviously. And now they have a new mission to go find the Holy Grail. Now, um, Monty Python, one of the things that they do uh, during the show, movies, uh, they interject a lot of animations, um, really ridiculous animations. Some people find them to be creepy if you're familiar with them. The more familiar with them you are, the more you'll probably find them to be a little more silly. Uh, but I know um, a lot of people who, when they, the first time that they see them, because it's this sort of like realistic but also animated style, it kind of looks creepy. So they do a lot of that. Um in a lot of their films and media. So you have the kind of angelic animations that you would expect with an old-time movie or some kind of old-time media, but the uh, cherubs are, you know, or the angels are blowing uh, the horns with their butts. Um, the angels are very stone-faced. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting. You, I'll, I'll Obviously, on the Instagram, I'll feature a couple of the animations over there as well, too. So you'll be able to kind of see what they look like. So at this point, now they've found another castle and they've announced themselves a couple of times. Uh, 
they have one lone soldier that has come out to talk to them. Um, and uh, he is French. That is why he has this outrageous accent. I, oh, I can't do it. You know, I'm so bad. I've tried to do French accents like four times at this point on this show, and it's so bad. But they keep trying. They say that if his lord, Guy de Lombard, will give them food and shelter for the night, then they will let him accompany them to look for the Holy Grail. And this soldier says he already has one. And they are obviously very confused. And they would like to come up and speak to him. They said no. He says no because they are English and obviously he is French. Um, now, King Arthur has said, if you will not let us in, we will take your castle by force. And this is when we get some of the greatest sets of insults uh, that I've ever seen or ever heard. Your mother was a hamster, and your father smelt of elderberries. Is there someone else up there we can talk to? No. Now go away, or I shall talk to you a second time. That's your last chance. I'd be more than reasonable. Fiche la vache. So they fiche la vache, which presumably means get the cows. Um and uh, they uh, proceed to throw livestock at our boys until they unfortunately have to retreat and um, cannot get into the castle until uh, Sir Bedivere, is it Bedivere? Yes, Bedivere, who is very smart, comes up with a plan. So after some construction sounds and um, a lot of hemming and hawing, um, we see our heroes crouched behind a hill where uh, Sir Bedivere, the wise, has uh, led us on to his plan, which is that he, Lancelot, and Galahad are going to hide inside of a rabbit that they have placed in front of the door. Um, this rabbit, uh, while he's talking, they bring the rabbit in, the wooden rabbit. It's much like the Trojan horse, uh, except for it's a rabbit. Um, and he tells uh, King Arthur, yeah, uh, the rabbit that they just took in, uh, we're going to be hiding inside of it and we'll come out at nightfall and they won't even know we're in there. Um, unfortunately, he's telling this plan, obviously from outside of the rabbit. Uh, so he is not in there. And um, fortunately for him, uh, the plan wouldn't have worked anyway because they take the rabbit and they toss it over the top of uh, the castle. So that plan does not work either. And now for something not totally different. Here is where we meet the historian. Action! Deceit at the castle seems to have utterly disheartened King Arthur. The ferocity of the French taunting took him completely by surprise. 
and Arthur became convinced that a new strategy was required if the quest for the Holy Grail were to be brought to a successful conclusion. Arthur, having consulted his Dursley's knights, decided that they should separate and search for the Grail individually. Now this is what they did. And thus ends the tale of the historian as he has just been beheaded by a random knight that has ridden by. Thank you. So our knights have all separated. And the first knight that we follow is uh, Brave Sir Robin, who is accompanied by the greatest minstrels of all time, including one who um, sings the tale of how brave Sir Robin actually is. And um, we're just going to breeze past this. You know, we don't like singing. But his kneecap split and his body burned away. And his limbs all hacked and mangled, brave Sir Robin. His head smashed in, his heart cut out, and his liver removed, and his bowels unplugged, and his nostrils raped, and his bottom burned off, his penis. That's, that's, uh, that's enough music for now. So the very brave Sir Robin and his pack of minstrels uh, happened to stumble upon a three headed knight uh, who happens to get into an argument with himself about whether they want to kill him. First, one of them does, and two of them don't. Um, and the more they talk, they decide to just go ahead and kill him and have their tea and biscuits. Um, their conversation does go on for quite a while, and by the time they finally decided definitively that they do want to kill him, um, he has fled and ran away. His tail and fled. He grabbed me, chickened out. Sir Robin. So our next detour is with Sir Galahad the Chaste, who after traversing through rain and heavy terrains and random animals that don't even live in the European landscape sounds, um, he finally comes upon a castle with a beacon of the Holy Grail shining right above it. This must be it. So he stumbles into the castle and uh, to his uh, terror, horror, um, he has stumbled into a castle of women. This is Sir Galahad the Chaste and Zoot, the lead woman, I don't even know what she really is, the headmistress in this castle. She says that there are eight score women, which is about 160, between the ages of 17 and 19 and a half in this castle, who are all there alone with no one to protect them. She, Sir Galahad is just looking for the grail, continuously asks, where is the grail? Zoot ignores the question, says he doesn't know where it is, um, puts him in a bed for the night so that he can get some rest, notices that he is injured, and calls two uh, doctors in, Dr. Piglet and Dr. Watson, I think that's the names, um, also two very beautiful women to come in and examine him. They immediately pull up his uh, tunic um, to examine his nether regions. Uh, he, of course, being Sir Galahad the Chase, knows that this is not right. So he jumps up to try to find his way to the Grail. He ends up running into Zoot's identical twin sister, Dingo, who um, then reveals to him that... Uh, I'll just let you listen. And Zoot's identical twin sister, Dingo. 
Excuse me. How do you mean? I shrieked the Braille. I have seen it here in this castle. No. Oh, no. That bad suit. What? Bad, naughty suit. She has been sent tonight to our beacon, which I just remembered is Braille shaped. Not the first time you've had this problem. It's not the real Braille. Ah, oh, she is such a bad. Oh, she is a bad person. And of course, she must pay the penalty. You think the scene should be cut? It was so worrying when the boys were writing it. But now you go out. Nothing's up with you, Dean, I think. At least after the penalty, she is. At least after the penalty, she is. Get out with it. Yes, get out with it. Get out with it. Get out with it. Well. What's the punishment? Uh oh. Spankings for everyone. The oral sex. Oral sex. <laughs> so fortunately, fortunately, for Sir Galahad the Chaste, he is saved by his men who save him from non-chastity, I suppose, and disappoints all the girls um, as he's led back out to uh, seek the grail once more. So now we are in scene 24, which we're informed of by our lovely narrator, who narrates uh, so shittily that he is uh, disposed of. Um, then we run into a shitty troll who gives really shitty directions about running into a cave that no one gets out of, passing through a gorge that no one gets out of, and then uh, passing through a swamp that no one gets out of. Um, our heroes, and I should say who our heroes are, um, King Arthur and Sir Bedivere the Wise, are traveling and run into uh, some of our favorite knights of all time, the knights who say, Neat! Uh, these are the uh, keepers of the sacred words, Neat! Bang! And Neewom! Um, so they are not allowed to pass through the woods because they are protected by these knights who say, Nee! Uh, so you might be wondering, well, how are they going to pass through? Um, well, I'll just let you, I'll just let them tell you. We are saying, Jesus. Well, what do you want? We want a shubbery. What? Please, please, no more. You will find your shubbery. You must return to the shubbery. Or you will never pass through this wood. Ah, You are just and fair. And we will return with a shubbery. One that looks nice. Of course. And also not too expensive. 
Yes. Now. No. Uh, meanwhile, uh, they're still investigating the murder of the history teacher. So let's move on to the tale of Sir Lancelot and what he's doing. Uh, our tale opens up to a castle where a man and his son are um, gathered in a room uh, ready for the son to marry and become the lord of the castle and take over the land. Um, the father has built four castles on the swamp. Three of them have sunk, but this one has managed to stay up, which means that it is the most, the strongest castle in the swamp, and he will be owning it as soon as he can marry um, a beautiful woman that he's engaged to. But unfortunately, uh, our sweet son does not want any of that. Herbert. Uh, so his name is Herbert, and they're living in a swamp, like Shrek. And uh, they need all the land they can get. So Herbert has got to get married to this very nice girl from this very nice family with a very nice amount of money. So since it's his wedding day, he is being forced to stay in a room and his father will not let him leave. So he's brought in two guards to make sure that he does not leave. These two guards, brilliant. Um, I'm just going to let you hear a little bit of this conversation so you can hear exactly how brilliant these guards actually are. Make sure the prince don't leave this room until I go again. Not to leave the room, even if you can't get it. Until I come again. Until you come and get him, we're not to enter the room. No, no. You stay in the room and make sure he doesn't leave. And you'll come and get him. Right. We don't need to do anything apart from just stop him entering the room. No. 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 Leave in the room. Leave in the room, yes. So he goes on to ask if we need to leave the room, can he come with us? Of course not. And so they go to follow him out of the room. He says, no, stay here and guard the prince. He says, the prince? Oh, I thought you meant to guard the other guard. That would have been weird. So obviously we know these guards are very smart and will be very good at guarding him. Um, also, quickly before he leaves the room, the uh, dad makes sure to tell him also, no singing. Well, the prince knows he can't leave the room, Prince Herbert, um, but he decides uh, to very sneakily and quickly while staring at the guards and them staring back at him, write a letter and shoot a bow and arrow out of the window, hoping that the letter will get to someone who will come and save him. A What is the man version of a damsel in distress? A, a damn... A dame, dame, a man in distress. Uh, so he's looking to be saved. And where did that arrow land, you may ask? Well, uh, right in the heart of uh, Sir Lancelot's trusty horse person with the coconuts, Concord. Um, he is uh, traveling towards the swamp castle and is unfortunately shot by an arrow that was barely shot out the window. But um, uh, Concord was not murdered in vain. 
or mortally wounded in vain or just wounded in general in vain because he's not dead. He's just going to sit tight by the swamp while Sir Lancelot goes to um, do a daring rescue for the letter that he's found, which says that uh, the person who sent it has been imprisoned by their father and is forced to marry against their will. And of course, you know who usually writes letters like that? Fair maidens. And Sir Lancelot is going to save this fair maiden, Herbert. So in preparation for this wedding, the castle is being guarded uh, by two guards in the front. And we get, uh, Monty Python often does this like gag with someone running towards the camera from a very long distance away. Um, it usually obviously takes a while for them to run up and complete whatever they're going to say or do. Um, and Sir Lancelot is running from a distance up to the castle. Um, the guards are watching him run up to the castle. And every time the camera switches back to him running back up to the castle, it starts from him running from the same spot. So it looks like he never gets any closer to the castle until suddenly he is right up on the guard and stabs him in the chest and runs into uh, the middle of the wedding area while the other guard just kind of goes, hey. <laughs> so Sir Lancelot clearly has not seen action in a long fucking time because he comes through this castle and just starts slicing everybody up. Now, mind you, most of the people who are just hanging out are wedding guests and vendors. And he comes through and just starts slicing everyone he comes into the main corridor of the castle kicks the bride in the chest stabs all the the um the guards on the way upstairs for no just stabs everyone even guards who aren't even trying to stop him he just stabs them and makes his way upstairs and of course he finds herbert who at first he you know swears to help until he realizes that it's herbert and herbert is so excited that someone has come to save him, that he gets ready to sing another song when he is stopped by his father because his father is not going to let him sing a song. So um, his father uh, meets Sir Lancelot, uh, finds out that Sir Lancelot is from Camelot, which he knows is a very um, uh, wealthy and uh, nice place. So as uh, Prince Herbert is preparing to climb out of the window, using a bed sheet with Sir Lancelot. Um, his dad just cuts the bed sheet down. It, it was tied to a bed post, but he is fully done with Herbert. Cuts the bed sheet down and brings Lancelot downstairs so that he can presumably speak to some of the townsfolk and, and just talk about talk about what just occurred. Yeah. <laughs> father was mortally wounded not at first but after you know a little bit of conversation about how wounded he was and actually getting better um he decides to take the bride under his wing as his own daughter since 
they were supposed to they were supposed to be his daughter-in-law anyway. And unfortunately, his son Herbert um, fell to his death outside of the window. So now his newly found legally binding daughter is going to be married to this wonderful Sir Lancelot from Camelot um, to join together his newfound kingdom and also the Camelot kingdom. But who walks in the door? Of course, it's Herbert because he's getting better. So Lancelot takes this as his moment to do a daring escape, which is really just him trying to swing out onto a rope but not getting enough momentum uh, while the rest of the people in the room sing a song, which obviously Herbert's dad has been trying to avoid this whole time. But now they finally get their townspeople song and we really never even hear Herbert sing at all. Meanwhile, King Arthur and Sir Bedivere are still searching for their shrubbery, right? So they run into this town and run into an old lady who is beating a cat on a rug. Yeah. And uh, asks her if they have any shrubberies. She, of course, wants to know who wants to know. And they say the knights who say neat. Well, she could not take them saying neat. And they say if she will not give them a shrubbery, they will have to say neat at her and she is defiant she says do your worst so sir bedivere at first news at her because he doesn't quite get it but eventually he gets it um until a traveler roger the shrubber passes by he arranges and sells and designs shrubberies he comes by to um chastise them for um kneeing at the old lady and uh of course because he's a shrubber he's able to provide them with a shrubbery so off they go back to the knights who say neat with their shrubbery, and they are proud. There we go. He did a good shrubbery. I like laurels particularly. But there is one small problem. What is that? We are now no longer the knights who say neat. We are now the knights who say Therefore, we must give you a test. What is this test, O knights Knights until recently said me. First thing you must find another shrubbery. Then when they find the shrubberies, they have to said the forbidden word. What's the forbidden word? Well, I'll tell you what it is in a second. But brave Sir Robin rides up with his um, minstrels, uh, still singing about how not brave he is. Um, and uh, now that they've met up, um, they went looking for the Holy Grail, but they weren't able to find it, even though they kept looking for it. Um, they still don't know where it is. Unfortunately, it is a word that the knights who say icky, 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 patang cannot deal with. And so eventually they leave. So now during their travels, um, the team meets up with um, Lancelot and Sir Galahad, and there is much rejoicing. Yay. Then in the frozen lands of Nador, they are forced to eat Robin's minstrels.
and there is much rejoicing. Yay. So after a year passes, uh, the guys run across um, a, a series of explosions in the distance. Very mystical seeming because they, they're coming from one guy who's just pointing at things and making them explode. Like, that's that's his thing. And eventually he, you know, explodes over into their direction and reveals himself to be an enchanter. Well, as the enchanter, like, he ought to know where the grail is, right? So they ask him if he knows where it is. Uh, he just keeps blowing shit up. Uh, so obviously he is a very busy man, but he, after they are about to leave, um, he obviously wants to show them a few more party tricks and then decides to reveal to them, um, how to find the grail where they'll have to go to a cave called Karen, Care Banog. Got it. So they need to go to the cave Bernog where carved into the runes on the rock, they will find information on how to get to the grail. However, Tim the Enchanter says that they should only follow if they are men of valor, because... The entrance to this cave is guarded by a creature so foul, so cruel, that no man yet has fought with it and lived. Bones and four fifty men lie strewn about its lair. So great knights, if you do doubt your courage or your strength, come no further, for death awaits you all with nasty, big, pointy teeth. So after much traveling, they finally get to the cave of Carabanon, where they meet a most fearsome beast a white rabbit that comes hopping out of the cave slowly, very sweetly, like white rabbits do. Well, of course, it's a white rabbit. Why would they be afraid of a white rabbit? So they send one of their men to go take care of the white rabbit, and he um, uh, decapitates them very quickly. Uh, so now the enchanter, Tim, is uh, going off about how no one ever believes him. And of course, they just want him to shut up at this point because like now they have what they want. So they charge. So off they go to fight the rabbit and the rabbit is being a motherfucking ass. He is getting in them cheeks. Everybody's going out. So um, they, uh, of course, uh, form a hasty, hasty retreat. Um, they have lost three people. And um, so they start trying to figure out, you know, what they can do. First, they, you know, they think maybe they can trick the rabbit. I don't know how they think they're going to do that. Um, they don't have any bow and arrows. Um, they're uh, they're running low on people. Um, they don't have any other weapons. But they remember that they have the holy hand grenade of Antioch. So down they call Brother Maynard from up on high. They look at him in reverence as he walks down with his uh, squire or whatever you call him. And um, uh, they are trying to figure out how to activate the hand grenade. Because nobody's ever done it before. So they have to read um, from the book to get instructions. And um, they're not easy instructions. And St. Tesselot raised the hand grenade up on high, saying, O Lord, bless this thy hand grenade, but with it thou mayst blow thine enemies to tiny bits in thy mercy. And the Lord did win, 
and the people who feast upon the lambs, and the shades, and the calf, and anchovies, and the mountains, and breakfast cereals, and fruit bats, and brother. And the Lord spake, saying, First shall thou take out the holy pit. Yes. Then shalt thou come to three. No more, no less. Three shall be the number thou shalt count. And the number of the county shall be three. Four shalt thou not count, neither count nor two, excepting that thou then proceed to three. Five is no, no five. What's the number three? Third number. Then lovest thou thy holy handmaid as you towards thy fair, who be naughty in my sight, shall snap it. Amen. 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 So after counting one, two, five, excuse me, three, um, we throw our bomb into the hole and um, we go down. Uh, and there we find inscribed on the wall um, an inscription that may be in Aramaic, supposedly. So Brother Maynard uh, steps forward and uh, translates what's written on the wall for us. Here may be found the last words of Joseph of Arimathea. He who is valiant and pure of spirit may find the Holy Grail in the castle of... Uh, what? The castle of... Uh, what is that? He must have died while carving. Oh, come on. Well, that's what it says. Look, if he was dying, he wouldn't bother to carve. Ah, just say it. That's what's carved in the rock. That he was dictating. Oh, shut up. So as they're musing about where this castle of uh, uh, could be, uh, Sir Bedivere turns around and says, ooh, uh, not uh, but they realize he actually means ah, because there is a huge monster behind them. An animated monster, not a real monster, but a monster. It's the black monster of, uh, or the black beast of, uh, we don't quite get it because he eats for the Maynard and they go running um, and they are running from, for their lives. And it seems that they'll never get away except for luckily the animator has a heart attack. And so now they can continue their quest for the Holy Grail. However, I should mention that while all of this is going on, there are investigators that are investigating the death of the historian from way back earlier in the movie, and they are just finding all series of dead bodies kind of just laying around, which is never a good sign, right? Okay. So now our men approach a bridge known as the Bridge of Death, um, where we see the same uh, troll from scene 24, who is now the keeper of the bridge. And you have to answer five, no, three questions um, to be able to cross. Uh, they ask Sir Robin the Brave to go and answer the questions. And Sir Robin suggests, why doesn't Lancelot go instead? Um, he's excited to go and wants to go fight. But they tell him, just go and answer the five, no, three questions. Um, so he goes up and the troll asks, what's your name? What is your quest? And what is your favorite color? Sir Lancelot of Camelot, to seek the Holy Grail, and blue, 
and he is permitted to cross. Easy, right? So now Sir Robin the Brave is excited to go answer these questions. And so he approaches, what is your name, Sir Robin of Camelot? What is your quest to seek the Holy Grail? And uh, what is the capital of Assyria? Don't know that. He goes right into the pit, dead. Great. So now approaches uh, Sir Galahad, the chaste. What is your name, Sir Galahad of Camelot? What is your quest to seek the Holy Grail? What is your favorite color? Blue. Nope, yellow. And into the pit he goes. Great. Ah, uh, so now approaches King Arthur. What is your name? King Arthur, King of the Britons. What is your quest? The Holy Grail. What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? And our King Arthur asks, African or European? As you know, he knows both because either one could possibly bring a coconut to Europe, correct? Um, we talked about this way earlier. Remember, we talked about the coconuts, swallows, all that. So he asks, African or European? The troll says, I don't know that. And off he goes into, um, into the pit. And so now there is no troll to guard the pit, and they are free to cross this shaky, rickety, cracked bridge of death. Awesome. So after a brief five-second intermission, uh, they finally cross the bridge and go looking for Sir Lancelot, who obviously went across a couple of minutes before. And they're not able to find him. Where is Sir Lancelot, you may ask? Oh, he's being arrested um, because the police have found him. So um, our two uh, heroes, King Arthur and uh, Bedivere the Wise, continue on to a lake where they find a random uh, ghost ship with the shape of a dragon in the front that they board that carries them to a mysterious castle that has been calling them with um, angelic tones. Uh, and we are guessing that here we will find the Grail. They approach the castle in complete reverence. God be praised. They kneel, um, balancing on their swords, and uh, say a prayer for as thanks for finding the Holy Grail and being led here. Um, and their prayer is unfortunately interrupted by um, a sheep being flung at them from above. And guess who's here? Like, I don't know why he keeps thinking he's going to demand things when he knows that these French people, <clears throat> this French man does not care. So, uh, uh, a lot of the insults go on for a while. You get it. Um, and uh, eventually they throw something on them, excrement probably, and uh, King Arthur and Sir Bedivere are forced to flee back across the water. They get back across the water, and uh, 
Sir King Arthur calls for reinforcements, and in runs a full battalion, like 40, 50 people run in. Um, no horses, of course, just people, you know, clapping the coconuts and things. But there's like 50 people that run in, and um, they're going to go attack the French because the French are, are taunting them because they that's, that's what they do. Uh, so they are ready and waiting to attack. After a rousing speech, our men attack and they run. They run towards the water. They run towards the castle of Ar. And right before they get to the water, they're cut off by police cars and uh, armored vehicles. And they pull up. They put our two boys, uh, Sir Bedivere and King Arthur, into the police cars um, because presumably they're being blamed for this uh, historian's murder. And um, the policemen tell the cameraman to cut and we get our closing credits music. Um, we got all of our credits in the opening, as you recall. So we get our closing credits, which is really just a black screen. And this. And that, my friends, is how the movie ends. Ah, so I'm sure you are, this is a long one. I know this is a long one, y'all. This is the longest one that I have ever done. And I don't have a lot of thoughts, but I am just going to quickly say something and then we'll just wrap this thing on up, okay? Now, part of the reason that I started doing this podcast was because um, I wanted a reason to kind of watch some of my favorite movies again, especially some of my favorite older movies and like relive what it was like to watch them the first time, get to talk to people about them. Um, that was my whole deal, right? And so um, there's all these movies that I originally, as soon as I started doing this, I was like, oh, I know what movies I want to do. And Monty Python has been on my list the whole time. Um, I have to go back and reevaluate my list because I realize I do this podcast by myself. And this is a movie that works better watched in a group, especially like it's fun when you watch it with a group of people who have all seen it. And it's also fun to watch it with someone who understands the humor who hasn't seen it before, who's seeing it for the first time. But watching it by myself, I was still amused completely. But there's something about like the community of silliness and the community of laughing with someone else, especially about like the visual gags and like the callback humor. Um, there's something about that that lends more to a group setting, which is probably why, you know, they turn this into a sing-along, um, uh, a sing-along Broadway show musical um, that I think is called Pramalot. Um, but the, the, the whole idea of this is it, it's meant to be as silly as possible and invoke that silly feeling. And that silly feeling is best shared with other people, um, especially like this sort of British humor silliness that isn't like, 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 like I said earlier, like I, you know, like 
some movies now like that are like very like slap gaggy you can laugh at them by yourself um but even those movies they're better watched with someone else so you know i i hope you enjoyed listening to this because maybe it's like watching it with someone else and maybe you enjoyed it but me watching it by myself it was hard i it took me 3 sit-throughs to watch this because the longer I watched it and maybe you know you could kind of sense it but the longer I watched it I was like this is still very funny to me but like I'd like to turn to somebody and like laugh at this stuff with somebody or be like oh you see that you know and you guys can't see it so that being said I definitely recommend you watch it (laughs) it it is it is a, a really funny uh film that does work better in a visual medium. I hope you enjoyed the podcast for sure. And if you've seen the movie before, there's probably a lot that you're like, oh, I know what that is. But for people who haven't seen it, I definitely recommend you go watch it because some of the stuff that I was talking about, you'll recognize it and you may be like, oh, I get it, you know. So um, it's on Netflix. So if you have Netflix, um, you can watch it with your plan. Um, And um, I... I think that's going to wrap it up for me today. Um, So next week, um, I told you guys I had that poll up. And next week, um, we're shifting our focus to a movie that I'm going to have to do a lot of research for and put a little bit of time into. Um, But um, in honor of the new year, um, we're going to do a little clockwork. So uh, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about if you know anything about movie titles. Um, so um, as always, um, I really appreciate you guys listening to the show. Um, it, please follow the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And by the way, if you listen to podcasts on Spotify, there is now an option to rate podcasts on Spotify. Um, so give us a rating, hopefully five stars. Um, but on whatever platform you use, please um, like, uh, rate us, uh, comment if you can, um, let us know how we're doing. And I say us all the time as if I am a multiple entity, but it is literally just me. Anyway, and check out the Halaif Pod Instagram. It's at H-L-A-Y-F pod. Um, I post movie stills, movie facts. I am not over there as much as I would like to be because I spend a lot of time on Twitter, film underscore Nikki. Uh, you will find me there most of the time. And our website is also up. Here's looking podcast.com. And you can also send any collab requests, advice, movie recommendations, or general greetings to here's looking podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, and if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Cheers!